man, why I I pull that out specifically? Would there be a reason why that term would be used as far as foolish men? Right. Well, I remember that it says it's a fool who doesn't believe in God. Um, that's uh, uh, obviously an accurate statement. Joe, you had your hand? Yeah, I was just going to say that uh, because of your example, and there's people that's going to see you, and they're still going to think that you're ignorant and not right because they're set in their ways. And uh, But through your good works and everything, they'll eventually see that uh, you as a good example. Jim? I think a lot of people think you're foolish if you do it right. That's the point you're trying to get here. You're, you're confusing because you're doing right. And foolish men say, that's stupid doing something like that. <laughs> well, in our context, too, you're submitting to these institutions that were created, and you're doing it in the in the in the sense of you're doing this for the sake of God, right? What's your motivation for doing this? Not ju- not so much of just being submissive to the government, but it's doing so because of your desire to do that. That's extremely foolish, I believe. And I'm going to butcher this, but to, as far as the salvation of Christ is foolish to the Greek, it's foolishness to those around you. It's in their ignorance that it's foolishness because it's just a lack. It's a stumbling block to the Jew and it's foolishness to the Greek. So you're talking of foolish men. You're talking of the chance to show those around you what you have, right? So then, go ahead, Charles. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I'm not Dave, guys. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Thanks for pulling that up for me. And so when we're looking at it's the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance. So if you're silencing someone's ignorance, what, what does that mean a lot of times? Would it mean that you're actually enlightening them and opening their eyes? When, you, when someone is no longer ignorant anymore, what do they have? They have wisdom. And so it's that chance and those opportunities, because that's what I feel when we're talking about honoring the authority. It's, we're looking at two, hand, two hands of two sides of the same coin, excuse me. You're looking at one thing, doing what is right, the will of God, and adhering to that. And on the other side of that coin, it's removing the foolishness, removing the ignorance of those around you, having that chance. And having that opportunity to do so. Because Romans 10, how if we look there, I'm going to read it rather than trying to recite it. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? 
How they preach unless they are sent, just as it is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. So, can someone hear something if no one's telling them? Rebecca does a fantastic job of not ever watching the news or hearing it. Because I know she's waiting for me to tell her the news of the day every time I come home. And that's the idea of those around us are living ignorantly a lot of times. How many people do we know in this world that I believe in God? I believe, oh, oh I know this one scripture. I heard it somewhere. I think it's John 3.16. And it's just an ignorant knowledge of something. You can have a brief understanding of something. And you talk about finances. I've got a very brief thing of what a Here's the dollar. I know it gets me a double cheeseburger, but if you want to talk about compound interest, I'm ignorant. So that's what's going on when we talk about those around us and the ignorance and foolishness of men. Act as free men. You do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Now, are Christians in this time frame in the first century, are they all free men? No. So what do we mean by act as free men? Not understand. Joe? Yeah, well, I was just going to say they've uh, stepped over that threshold of sin and they're living righteously in front of God. Yeah, they're doing so in the freedom of Christ. You're doing All your actions are in the freedom of Christ. It's not doing so because you're being whipped into the bondage of whoever's above you at the time. You're actually willingly participating in whatever you're going to be. And as we continue reading, we're going to see he talks about being a bond slave, being a servant, being submissive to your masters. And is doing so in that, and doing everything in joy. When Paul or Peter's in prison, and when Paul's in prison and, and the gates open, you know, he's, do, he's staying there. They're joyfully singing hymns. They're doing everything they're doing in the joy of Christ. And in the freedom of Christ. So you're acting as free men, not under sin anymore, through Christ. And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. This is something I struggle with a little bit in this verse specifically. Because we just talked about free men being free of sin. But do not use that freedom as a covering for evil. Who has a thought on that? Oscar. turn people off. Because is it really in love? Are you actually acting in the true freedom of what you have and doing so in a way? Or is it, are you using that because you want to boast yourself? Paul says, I 
that what is the only thing he boasts in? Christ crucified and, and the death of Christ. You know, and, and what that is. It's still something that I, I in the middle of this, as, as, I, as I've read it, it, it is one of those things that sticks out to me. And, I, and you know, there's not much that's spoken about it that I've found other than what you mentioned as far as the, free, the liberties that we have as Christians, but not to use them against the weaker brother. Jim. interesting, I mean that's an extremely valid point in today's world and it, and it makes you wonder almost, was that already being preached in the first century? Was that already, was that kind of twisting of the gospel already occurring? Because we know twisting was occurring. We know things were being taught that were incorrect. That's why we have these epistles. You know, that's absolutely right though. If we look down in Cypress Lake Drive you can do whatever you want. Once you say the prayer you're good to go. Right, and um, and so I think that's that's a very good point. But use it as bond slaves of God, and this is an extremely well used term to be a servant for Christ, to be a bond slave for God. And we not understand, we try to understand in where we live and what we do, the bond slave mentality. It's an extremely, I think, for myself. You know, you can look at history even of our own country, but you look at slavery and what it is, how it's been used, what it's currently used as in the world we live in, because it is still it still exists in a bad way in the world we live in. Um, but for a lot of us, it's not it's not something we're going to see beyond reading or on the news, right? But. To that point, the mentality of that, if you're in that stance of being a slave, or in, whether it be the first century, whether it even be in, from the 1500s to the 1700s, in today's date with human trafficking, the mental, the mental capacity that you're going to be free is something that is not existent. For a lot of those individuals. If we look in the Middle East on what happens through the tribal disputes of what goes on and the dictates of Islam um, and how that slavery exists, the first thing that's occurring in all these instances is the complete mental degradation of who the individual is and what they are physically. And I'm not trying to paint an extremely graphic image, but I use that verbiage specifically because as I've tried to become educated on that and just world events and that kind of stuff, I try to also apply this through the lens of Christianity and the Bible and, and look at the scriptures and try to put these together. So, when we talk about that complete mental breakdown, uh, one second, Jim?
covering up by asserting something that you shouldn't have. Yeah, I think that's right. When and that's it's that's why it brings up absolutely, and it's and it's bringing back to forefront. Sin is equal in the sight of God, right? That there isn't to God if you're if you disobey the command, it is sin, regardless of what the command is. So it could be wives being submissive to husbands or following in what's been given to as far as the apostles' doctrine or murder, having lustful thoughts. We, as a society, we, we tier those things, right? You know, you've got first-degree felonies to third-degree felonies, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. You've got manslaughter to first-degree murder. So we have, as we grow up in a society from our youth of something that is has gradual levels. Well, I think picture a funnel when it comes to God. You can have those levels as a society all you want. Once you fit through that funnel, it's a it's a straight line and it's all equal. It is sin. And so as even as a Christian, we can run the risk of having having something covered up, but we're covering that up with our freedom. And so going back to the humility, and we go back to that bond slave mentality, we have to almost mentally think of it as, okay, you don't have that freedom anymore. The people who are in slavery don't think that there's going to be an end to this anymore. And it usually happens pretty quick for them. Because it's, a phys- it's something that's done to them physically, it's something that's done to them emotionally and mentally. Through different means. So, to the point of being a bond slave for God, this is a voluntary thing, right? It's not something that is beaten into us. But to combine those two together, it's giving ourselves, trying to take away the capacity. We don't, there's not going to be the sin anymore. There's not going to be that anymore. We're not. We need to mentally condition ourselves to the degree of the word is the word, and this is what it is. And to be the bond slave for God means to continually be pushing in the apostles' doctrine, to continually be pushing for Christ, and to put out of your mind the fact that there might be something else almost. It's not in, in maybe a terrible analogy on my part, but I try to think of those things because we don't live in that kind of society. We don't live in the first century. And in applying this word to our lives today, I think it's really important for us to... What, what does that mean to be a bond slave? Because that's used all the time. Dave's preached on it very well with the scriptures, talking about how things were in the Old Testament, what's been put in place as far as... These people knew what slavery was. These people knew what it was to be put in a hole. So when you say that, this is what you want to be for God, because this is what God... God is giving you something for this, whereas as an actual slave, you're not getting anything but torment. So, trying to think that through. In number seventeen, in verse seventeen, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. So, honoring they seem like very simple commands, right? Honor all people. Just showing each. What's the as Jesus told us, what's the golden rule? Treat those and 
love your neighbor as yourself. And who's your neighbor? Well, the Pharisees, we figured that out, right? How often are we truly applying that to our life and with every contact that we come in? It's something I try to think in the company I work for, you know, a lot of companies will have their mission statements and their 12 core values or things of that nature. And the company I work for t- took that as their number one core value. And so I do think about that on a regular basis. Thankfully, I get to see that every day. But when I leave work, I think, you know, driving down the road, and as we get closer and closer to the season, are we thinking about that? Or as soon as we get in the car and start driving, are we just tossing the word out and just, I need to get to my next place real quick? And then when I actually invisibly in front of someone, because when we're in our nice, you know, whether it be a 3,000 to 6,000 pound vehicle, you feel pretty impenetrable. You know, people drive that way, like as if you're invincible. But when, think about that. Because that's in your heart. That's some of the most dangerous times for myself personally, is when I'm in the car by myself, there's no one there to hold me accountable. Someone cuts me off. Yeah, I may drive a company car a lot of the time, so I can't, obviously, I'm, I've become, that's actually taught me to be the most patient per, person driving is when I, I got a camera on me in my vehicle at all times. So if something happens, it's going to be on camera and it's going to be reviewed. Slamming on my brakes too hard, turning too hard, what's going on? There's nothing will keep you honest, like having a camera watching you the whole time. You know, and so I think those are things that we need to, to take to heart when he says honor all people. Loving the brotherhood. Uh, is there a difference between honoring and loving? I think there is more intense love. More intense? But you see, you honor everybody and you you try to treat them as you would treat someone that you really love. But the, the, the love that you have for your, the brotherhood or for your family is completely different than what honoring. Because you're trying to teach and treat those other people. The last verse that you read, it talks about uh, Jesus suffered for us and left us with what? An example on how to live. An example. And that's what we're trying to do. Example ourselves like Christ. Yeah, absolutely, Jim. Well, I'm curious why the Ten Commandments have honor your mother and your father instead of loving Position, right? Position of where they are, of where those people are. Can you honor someone who's below you? Yeah, you can, absolutely. You can show respect and honor to everybody. And I think the difference between phileia and agape, right? When we talk about love the brotherhood, what's, you know, we've probably studied this before, the difference between phileia and agape. Agape's, I will die for you, literally. It is the love that invokes passion. It is the love that well, you are literally willing to bleed. And phileia is the brotherly love, is, a, is more of just an honoring, a brotherly type of love of those around you, having that respect for people around you. you know, so there is that difference. Because I think it's showing us that there, there, there's going to be a difference between the brotherhood the 
the church universally, when we talk about the church of Christ, as Christians come in contact with one another, there should be a visible difference between them coming together and us honoring people in general. And I feel like there should be that difference specifically for the matter that we are a shining light. And if we're a shining light, we should show that love for one another in public in ways that people want to know what that is. As we show respect to those around us, they should see that, wow, you're, you guys even show even more. The, what you show for one another is beyond what I see of just people in general, right? Or how I, you guys treat each other like I treat my family or like I treat my one best friend that I've had since first grade and that's all I care about, you know? That, that's why I believe there should be a difference between those two and that's why I think they're listed separately. You can just say honor all people and continue moving on. Fear God. Now, Dave just talked about this a week ago, maybe a week and a half ago. You know, when we talk about the fear, fearing God, it's not, I'm afraid of these heights. I'm afraid of spiders. Or having that fear, that intensity of something that might happen to you. Right? It's the, the, it's the reverence that is owed because of the sovereignty of God. And that's the way fear is used a lot of times in the New Testament. When you look at the original Greek, it's used in that form of having extreme reverence and caring of that sovereignty of God, who he is, and what's demanded of us because of it. You know, it, it's when we look at honoring that, that father, father and mother as a child, someone who's a child, it's... you. Fearing them as someone who has the authority and showing the reverence for that. And honoring the king. Again, we go back to the honor, but I think it's specifically listed because of what the context of this is. Peter's writing and saying, you still need to submit to these authorities that are given because they're given by God and you still need to show honor to the king. As when the Pharisees came and questioned Jesus about paying taxes. We talked render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Because nothing in this world physically is a possession that we need anymore. It's not something that is for us anymore when we when we are in this place. We are storing up in heaven. We're not storing up here. The uh, bond servant thing. Yeah. As Christians, we're always going to be bond servants. We can't get away from that. We don't want to get away from that. We want to continue to be bond servants and do as we're required to do. And so, you know, that's one of the things that we have to do continually in order to honor the king. Yeah, I think so. Jim? I think going back to the fear again. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of both that's involved in that. Not only reverence, but the understanding that our God is a And I think that's why we saw examples of it in Acts, right? Ananias and Sapphira. There was still that you need to see what is really at stake. Oh yeah, I mean then the old. I mean obviously as you continue to go through Israel's struggles in, in Genesis. Yep. And they didn't want to look at Moses when he came down. They were afraid to even look at his face. 
Yeah, I think that's, those are absolutely great points. And, and I, the reason I go to Acts is because we're, as we're talking about the New Testament and the New Covenant of what we're looking at, it still was shown that death is the penalty. That was, that was shown as a physical manifestation of what would happen. And it's, so it, it's people in today's society like to say, well, God's this great here grandfather who just loves everybody and, you're one, and you can just believe and you're fine. And there's no, there's no need for the details or, or no need for the obedience. I think we're told right away in Acts. That's not true. Oscar? He's your slave. He's also your brother. All at once. Right? And I think it's important to see that in, he's still honored. Finally, you know, he, he didn't come in. As Paul, let's be honest, I mean, for all intents and purposes, Paul could simply walk in and say, by my apostolic authority, this is what we need to do. But he doesn't take that. And I think that's for a reason. I think it's very specific. And in conjunction with this, I think you're absolutely right. It's one of those things we have to, and as we continue in talking about a good master versus a bad master, I think the relationship there is, is, and not to say that wives are slaves to their husbands, but I think it runs in conjunction with a wife who is submitting to the Lord, who is steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, and a husband who isn't. And that wife has an opportunity to save the husband, Right? If in the same stance, a slave that's converted has the opportunity to show his master what has changed in him to save that master, right? And I think that's why it's the important part of it. In our government, there are individuals that believe the government still, you know, we're all just citizens and slaves to the man or to the government. You know, they're going to take my taxes. They're going to do all this stuff. And I've got to follow these rules. But let me tell you, it's if we're not obedient to that, through our faith, we're going to end up like everybody else talking like that. And we have the opportunity to show them that we are so joyful about our circumstances because of Christ, and we're happy to do this. And it, I don't know about you, when I'm happy, my stress level is a lot lower. You know, I don't think about, I'm, why dwell on these things? Because what is this physical thing that we have? It's going to be nothing. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, 
not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. And obviously we just discussed that. And I think, it, again, going back to the ones who are unreasonable, you know, it's easy to be good to those who are good to us. It's easy for us to want to reciprocate that. And regardless of the relationship that we're talking about between a slave and their master, I think people, this is an example for those, if a slave has a bad master, can he do anything about that? Run away, I hope. You know, hope and pray and run away. He can, that's about all that's there. But when we talk about those who are around us, who are not reasonable people, do we know unreasonable people in our life? What if we were, if we had a servant's mentality for those individuals? What if we showed them that type of respect and that type of honor? Does that change their attitude? Whether there's someone who's above you in, 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 or a boss at work or you know someone who's above you by multiple levels and they're just a terrible person. They, they make terrible policies and I don't like it. Whether it be someone that you have to run into constantly at the grocery store. You know, obviously in today's day and age, ignore everything on Amazon, so that solves that problem. But those individuals that you see regularly or those people that are around us that maybe we don't even see sometimes. How many times do we harbor feelings about people that we've never met? Watch the news, it'll happen. People that you don't know. And have that servant's mentality because we can only change our own hearts. God do that through us and we have that capability of working that we that's where we are but then when you talk about the other individual we plant seeds and who makes the increase God does but if we're not willing to plant the seed because it's asphalt and we're not opening that up we're not taking a sledgehammer of servitude and in humility to those individuals are you ever going to be able to put the seed in the ground because that's what it takes sometimes because I can tell you, someone whether I, taking away the servant part of this, but let's just look at an employee part of this. Has anybody ever had an employee that just felt like you have a really good one and a really bad one? The really good one does what? Is constantly looking at you with the form of respect. What can I do to help? Or being proactive. Then you have the other ones that are not. Well, what if you took the servant's mentality to the one who is not? And start working side by side with them. And are in the same places as they are. You have those opportunities to make that happen. And then continuing in verse 19. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God. A person bears up under sorrows and suffering unjustly. For what credit is there. If you in sin are harshly treated. You endure it with patience. But if you do what is right and suffer for it. You patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. So I think going back to, obviously he's pointing at the servitude part of things. If you do something bad and you receive the consequence, regardless of how you take it, but if you take it with patience, is that, that's what it was expected, right? You're going to take the consequence, you sin. Sin breeds consequences. And continuation of sin brings a consequence. But just, this is a parallel, obviously, to what? Christ? If you did what is right and suffered for it, 
That's what fine. Because what are you doing in that case? You are being Christ-like. But it's hard for us sometimes. I mean, physical things affect us physically. It's hard for us when things happen to us and you feel like you got a bad rub and you're just trying to grit and bear. We have to think about these things. We're focusing on what is right. Dennis. Absolutely. Between Joseph and Job. I mean, you take the two of them side by side. Joseph is given opportunities, taken away, and given opportunities again. And we, what, obviously, we look at Joseph, that shows you, have, you cannot think about what is right in front of your face. You have to set your eyes upon the goal. We're told to run the race. Well, the race isn't from here to the door. You cannot see the finish line. So with that, you have to continue on that way. And doing what is right can breed hardship. I mean, doing what is wrong, look at his brothers, right? They were about to go through a famine and had to come back to him. So are they receiving platitudes because they're going through the famine? No, they have to come and submit and be at the mercy of their brother. So I think that's 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 a great parallel to that. Thank you, Dennis. As we continue in verse 21, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, an example for you to follow in his steps. And that's where we're going. That's obviously the, the completion of this. Starting from submitting yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Because you've been called for this purpose. Though all that group has been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his footsteps. Because from that is how salvation is able to be grasped. Even as something like following the human institutions of that we're under. That's about it. Any other comments or questions? I know there's scriptures, parallels. Thank you very much for... Sticking with me, keeping things going.